are entering the Freedom Hut. The Waffle House mass shooter is in captivity right now. They got him. Also, a Toronto terror attack. We'll have the latest for you with that. Nine people killed. And uh, McCabe's lies and Comey's leaks. Plus, Starbucks training for unconscious bias. Guess what? Activists say it's not enough. Plus, will Pompeo get through the Senate to be Secretary of State? That and more coming up. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, welcome, Team Buck. Great to be here with you. The Buck Sexton Show is uh, live from NYC. Uh, I missed you all on Friday. I missed uh, getting a chance to chat with you here in the Freedom Hut, as is our custom. I had a great trip, though, out on the West Coast. Talk to you a little more about my thoughts on on how it all uh, went. A lot of, lot of uh, sweet nothings to say about San Diego. You know, L- L.A. is cool, too. You just got to get used to some traffic, but L.A. is a very nice place. Great restaurants. Had some really good food out there. So, anyway, it was a really good trip and uh, handled some important business for all things all things hut related here. Um, we've got some uh, some big stuff to get to today, and we might even have some more updates for you on what happened in uh, what happened in Toronto, uh, because that was just a few hours before we came on the air. Uh, I wanted to start though with the uh, Waffle House shooting that happened over over the weekend, because there, there's a lot a lot going on here. I mean, look the you got to start with the bad, right? You had four people killed here. So it's a mass shooting in a uh, Waffle House restaurant um, in Tennessee over the weekend. Travis Reinking, 29, in custody, uh, in custody right now. And uh, they're looking at what could have been done to stop this. Now, this guy went in with an AR-15 and started shooting in a Waffle House. He was also, I believe, just wearing a coat and was naked other than that, right? So this guy walks in basically naked in a trench coat and starts shooting up a place. So he's completely, he's nuts. He's, he's a crazy person, right? He's, he is mentally ill and in that very, very, very small percentage of people with mental, mental illness, right? That, that 0.01% of people that have a mental illness that are actually dangerous on top of it. Now we all know this. Should we have known before, though? Should the authorities have known? When we look at this more closely, there is a certainly reason for us to think that uh, something something was missed here. So he walks into the Waffle House. He let me just walk you through some of what we know about what happened here. Walks the Waffle House, starts shooting, kills four people, and then the heroism of an everyday, you know, everyday American. James Shaw Jr., the heroism of an unarmed American, African, uh, he's African-American uh, in his 20s. I don't know how old he's, like 20-something. But this is some stuff, folks. This is some guts. Imagine this. Guy comes in, naked except for a trench coat or some kind of a jacket, starts shooting up the place. He's got an AR-15, kills four people. So he, this is a mass shooting in progress. He's just trying to kill as many people as possible. And James Shaw, who is just a patron at the Waffle House, has the frame of uh, you know frame of mind has the 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 ability to 
barehanded sees the weapon from this guy when he's, I, I believe he was reloading. They think he was reloading. It could have jammed, but I, my guess would be more likely he's reloading. And takes the AR out of his hand, throws it away from him. And then the guy, the, the crazy guy here, uh, Ryan King, escapes. I also note that the fact that he was able to get away, look, law enforcement had him, what was it, within 24 hours or so, but uh, you know, it took them until 2 p.m. today to actually get this guy. He was found in a wooded area less than a mile from his apartment. But I want to focus on on James Shaw for a moment here because he and this I want to let him tell his part of the story here he gave interviews after by the way this guy is great I mean not only did he save his own life and a bunch of other lives in the process and showed real bravery in as dangerous a situation as anyone could be in right mass shooter AR-15 you're barehanded you're in a restaurant you're in the kill zone and he has the frame of mind to um, grab this weapon out of his hands and end that shooting Undoubtedly saving lives the process. Uh, and then he, from what I read, went home afterwards, cleaned himself off, and went to church Went to church with his family. So we love this guy. I don't, I don't know him, but we love him. And, and, he, and he actually is, a, is a, a real hero in the true sense of the world, although I know he was saying he doesn't think he's a hero because well, that's usually what heroes say. right? I'm not a hero. Well, actually, no, you, we're here to tell you you are, James Shaw Jr. You are a hero. Here's what he did in his own words. So when we first heard what I know now is the gunshot, we thought it was plates crashing because we had pretty much made that up in our minds that it was the plates were going to fall. Then the second one happened, then the third one happened. I think that's when the glass busted and broke through. And then I saw the Waffle House employee scatter. He shot through that door, I'm pretty sure, and I'm pretty sure he grazed my arm. And it was at that time that I kind of made up my mind because there's no way to lock that door. Um, that if it was going to come down to it, he was going to have to work to work to kill me. So at the time that he was either reloading or the gun jammed or whatever happened is when I ran through the, the swivel door. I hit him with the swivel door, and then the, ga- the gun was kind of jammed up and it was pushed down, so we were scuffling. And uh, I managed to get him with one hand on the gun, and then I grabbed it from him, and I threw it over the countertop. And then after that, I was trying to get out the door, and I think he was pretty much in the entranceway, so I just took him out with me, out of the entrance, and all the way outside. Barehanded stopped a mass shooting, folks. Confronted the shooter. And I want to highlight this. I I did see a lot of really... And you can expect this, given the politicization around guns. A lot of really stupid commentary over the weekend about how, see, good guys with a you, you don't need a good guy with a gun. You just need a good guy. In this case, yes, I think it would have been better if he had had a gun, though. Just putting that out there. You know, James Shaw didn't need one, but I'm sure if you had offered him one under the circumstances, he would have been very happy to have been a concealed carry uh, guy under the circumstances. Like I said, didn't need one, but doesn't mean it wouldn't have been helpful. And it's a really bizarre way to look at the circumstance. This was a, getting a lot of social media traction. I think uh, maybe one of the students involved with the Parkland thing was saying, I think that's what I saw. I could be wrong on that. But saying, see, you don't, you know, you don't need a, uh, somebody who's armed to intervene. Maybe it was a journalist who said it. I can't remember now. I read a lot of stuff over the weekend. You don't need someone who's armed to intervene. Well, true, but. Right? 
part of this that I take away is that after these mass shootings, you'll often have people who have real tactical expertise, you know, former military, former law enforcement, or uh, folks that work on the security side in one way or another, or just, you know, citizens who have, you know, their concealed carry permit and maybe spend some time at uh, some ranges and our NRA members, right? Just people that understand firearms. They'll say, look, being a vigilant and concerned uh, citizen, being a civilian who pays attention and understands that your safety is ultimately in your hands is a part of this. And if you are entirely, and we're going to get into the government side of this in a moment here. If you're entirely relying on police to save you, guess what? In this case, if James Shaw doesn't step up, you might have had four, five, who knows, 10 more people murdered, never going to see their families again in that restaurant and police arriving, you know, 10 or as fast as they can. But, you know, 10, 15, maybe maybe 20 minutes after the shooting stops. So you can't just rely on law enforcement. They can't be everywhere. It's not a knock on law enforcement. It's just a statement of reality. But people will uh, put this idea down, right? They'll say, oh, this notion that either people who are concealed carry or just even citizens maintaining a level of vigilance in their own surroundings, taking their security in their own hands. That's foolish. You can't do anything. A lot of of liberals say this. A lot of Democrats will say this. And you notice what James Shaw said there. And this is, I think, what was the turning point. Because I'm sure this went through his head. He said, quote, I was going to make him work to kill me. That was it. That was the key decision in that life or death circumstance. James Shaw could have just said, uh, I, I just tried to, I, I put my, my hands over my head and tried to duck down and just hope. Nah. He said, I'm going to make him work to kill me. And guess what? Shaw walked away. I don't even think he got, I mean, maybe scuffled, but not even wounded. And saved lives in the process. Because he made that decision. You know, I know a lot of you will know that one of the big things you train in, in military side or law enforcement, you know, you got to get off the X, right? When you're in a dangerous situation, paralysis is always the worst thing when your life is threatened your life is in danger just freezing it means that you are giving in to the bad guys and you're going to lose and you're not coming out likely not coming out of that situation alive and understanding that it is in your hands ultimately whether you at least take action or not in a circumstance like this is an important step in the process it's not just lip service this isn't just something that people say after a shooting or you know oh Pay attention to where the exits are. Security and safety. I'm not suggesting anyone be paranoid. I don't want you to be in a state of heightened vigilance, right? You're not. If you're listening to this show, I mean, some of you are probably in Helmand Province, but for the most part, you're, you know, in the in the continental United States, uh, Hawaii and Alaska, some Canadians too, and, and some military bases around the world. But I don't want you to be thinking that there's an IED around every corner because there's not. That said, just a basic level of awareness is a good thing. And preparing yourself psychologically to defend yourself, if need be, in whatever the circumstance, and defend your family is, is important. Because if you wait until it act, something actually happens, and by the way, there's all, I don't even tell you, you know, I live in New York City, people, you get crazy people come up to you and, you know, yelling in your face that they're going to stab you and stuff. I mean, this stuff happens all the time, right? I mean, not all the time, but it's happened to me. You got to be ready to deal with things as they come your way. James Shaw was, and people lived because of it, and he lived because of it. Now, I want to fo- I want to shift our focus, but, but that was an important point here, right? Work to kill me. That's what he said, and that should always be your attitude in a life-or-death situation. You're not going to give in. You're not going to give up. You're going to fight. Now, 
the law enforcement side of this, law enforcement piece, policy side. How do we stop this? I want to get into that after the break. I also am going to talk to you about what's happened, what we believe has happened so far. A lot of reports still coming in in what is likely to be a jihadist terror attack in Canada. Nine people killed, vehicle attack, straight out of the Al-Qaeda playbook. Not confirmed that it's Al-Qaeda, not even confirmed it's jihadism yet, but we know what the numbers are here. We know what the probability is. We'll analyze that together. And I think I'll actually have a friend who's at has been at the scene all day up in Toronto, scene of this uh, mass murder, this terrorist attack. Uh, we'll have her joining us in just a little bit here. Assuming we can get her on the line. She's been running around doing a lot of reporting from there. But I want to give you a, a ground truth perspective on what's happening up in Canada, uh, in Toronto. And uh, we've got a lot of show coming up. So uh, stay right there. So this uh, Waffle House mass shooter, he's in custody now. He turned himself in uh, when, well, not turned himself in, but he surrendered without much of a fight when they found him. Uh, he is he's somebody who's got serious uh, mental, mental illness. Um, he believes that uh, Taylor Swift is uh, stalking him and had some other, I, I, I'm not even clear on all the different delusions that he was having, but there were a bunch of them. I mean, he's, I'm not pretending to be a psychiatrist here, but, you know, he's a paranoid schizophrenic or he's a, there's something, he's got a very serious, uh, very serious mental illness, obviously, and now he's uh, got four homicides, uh, four homicides that he's uh, facing charges for. Uh, he had his guns taken away, but his dad apparently gave them back. That's what the report was. Um, the the uh, Tazewell County Sheriff's Office in Illinois gave the weapons that Ryan King owned to his father. So we'd like to know how that how how does that happen? So you take the guns, or so this is a, the sheriff in Illinois where this guy Ryan King lived. Uh, he moved to Nashville last fall, but he before that lived in Illinois. The sheriff um, gave the weapon, you know, took took the weapons away from Ryan King, and then gave them to his dad, and the dad gave this guy back his weapons. Now, Ryan King uh, believed that Taylor Swift was stalking him, hacking his phone and his Netflix account. Any person without even a a smidgen of Security training or psychiatric evaluation ability should know that's a really bad idea. And the father may now face some kind of charges based on that, although I don't know. It depends on what the process was. That you know, did, did, Was there a voluntary surrender of the firearms? And if so, did the sheriff's office kind of sheriff's department give them back to the dad and kind of a good faith agreement here of, hey, just don't give him. And then he gave him the kid. I mean, I, I, I don't know. You got to see what the specifics uh, laws are, are in Illinois. So that's one part of this is the, the they knew he was a problem. There are red flags. The guy's obviously deranged. And the dad gives him back his guns. I think he also had a pistol on at the time he was found. So he had an AR-15 and a pistol, I believe. Uh, and then you have another part of this that's troubling, which is that he stole a BMW a few days ago. You saw that, right? Stole a BMW and managed to evade law enforcement. Now, 
I get it, right? If at a certain speed and in certain situations, law enforcement will back off because they don't want pedestrians or other drivers to get killed in a high-speed chase. So I, I know that there are limitations here, but I also know that law enforcement can call in usually, depends on where they are, you know, air assets for a high-speed chase. Most, I don't know what the model is of BMW here, but most model, newer models of cars have GPS tracking on them that uh, it's not hard to find when someone's stolen a car. I think I've even talked about on the show how car theft has essentially disappeared as a crime because they can find the car so quickly if it's stolen because they all have GPS tracking on them now. Something you don't even think about. I still remember being a little kid and uh, my my friend's dad was like driving us for ice cream or something. We went to his car and the window had been shattered and all of it, the whole thing. And that happened here in New York City on the east side. You know, just what happened? You're like, oh, someone broke into my car, you know. People still break in, but usually they'd break in well, they used to break in to try to steal the radio, but also they'd break in to try and steal the car. So how did that happen? How did he get away? And what was the uh, the timing of the law enforcement response to the mass shooting? Those are all things that we want more answers to. It's tough to come up with a policy here as to what should have been done differently other than I think at some point, you know, you, you've got to look and see law enforcement, if they have cause to make an arrest on an individual like this, it might start to be better policy to say we should actually get somebody in the system because I think with this guy, it looked to me like there are some red flags. And we're still finding out a lot more about about his background, right? We're still finding out a lot more about um, Travis Reinking, the Waffle House shooter. Uh, but in the meantime, it does feel like this guy was obviously a problem, obviously deranged, and there are four people who are dead now that could have been prevented. Does, it feels that way, at least. doesn't seem to me like this. this wasn't a guy that seemed normal and quiet and got guns and no one knew about it. And, you know, how can you stop it? So we'll keep an eye on this one. Speaking of how can you stop it? Vehicle attack in Toronto. Nine people dead. Scene of carnage and chaos on one of the busiest streets of Toronto. What can we uh, make of that at this point in terms of terror attack, motivations, follow on investigation? And I think we'll actually have a friend of mine joining us here from the streets of Toronto. He's a reporter up there to give us what the latest ground truth is. So stay with me for that. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Good afternoon. Uh, My name is Acting Chief Peter Ewan. I'm here to uh, relate some information to you as to what happened today on Young Street. Approximately 1.30 this afternoon, Toronto Police received a number of calls from citizens indicating a vehicle is driving, was driving on Young Street and striking a number of pedestrians between Finch Avenue and Shepherd Avenue. At this, is, this time, what is known to us is we have located that vehicle. The driver's in custody right now. And he's been investigated to the events of that took place this afternoon. I, could, I also want to offer my condolences to the families and the victims of this tragic event that took place. We can confirm for you tonight, right now, we have nine people that are dead. 16 that are injured. Toronto Police Service has mobilized all available resources. And I can assure the public, all our available resources have been brought in to address this tragic situation. 
That was uh, Toronto acting police chief talking about a an apparent terror attack earlier today in that uh, Canadian city just across the border. And here's what we, as he said, nine people killed. So it's a mass casualty incident. White van involved. Beautiful day in uh, downtown Toronto. And a lot of folks out on the streets trying to enjoy themselves, trying to go about their business. And just a complete scene of chaos and carnage. Um, uh, so we, we think it's terrorism, although we don't know. ISIS hasn't claimed responsibility. I don't know if they have named... Uh, named the suspect quite yet. Um, but there's a video. One thing to note in the video that purports to show the uh, the driver of the van killed all these people, that he he makes a motion with his hand in the video like he's holding a gun, and he points at a police a few times and doesn't get shot from what I can see. He was threatening with something. So, uh, um, is Faith with us right now? We've got Faith Goldie in the line. She's a journalist up in Canada, also a YouTuber. Uh, Faith, great to have you. Thank you for joining us today. Um, t- tell us what's been going on. I mean, you are there on the scene in Toronto. I know you've been reporting and, li- and live streaming from there. That's right. Thanks so much for having me on, Buck. Um, I was just saying to a friend of mine today, while it's a sunny day in Toronto, there is definitely a dark cloud over this city. Um, It was just after the lunch hour today, probably the first beautiful day that Toronto has had basically since the new year. So you can imagine how many people were out on the streets. This one strip, probably about a half mile long, um, which is kind of like the northern downtown, if you will, of Toronto. It's kind of its own independent skyline up there, um, full of residences, businesses, etc. So a totally jam-packed area full of many people when um, Reports came in of a man in a white rental vehicle who was indiscriminately mowing people down, mounting the curb several times, crashing into bus stops, running over fire hydrants, um, you know, bike racks, what have you. And so as soon as this news came in, I, I, I was at home. I rushed to the scene. And what I found, Buck, was... I mean, beyond anything I have ever witnessed in my own hometown. When I say bodies everywhere, that's quite literally the scene. And as I understand, they still remain on the scene because, of course, it is a very active, um, you know, crime scene right now. So nine dead, 16 injured from what we were told from the most recent press conference, which I attended. They're not giving us any details right now with respect to the suspect. I did ask, while there were no questions allowed at this press conference, I did ask uh, whether or not we knew that this man was a um, Canadian citizen or whether or not uh, he was, frankly, from the Middle East because Whatever this turns out to be, let's be honest, there's a bit of a pattern and a schema uh, that we've seen play out across the Western world in metropolises of the the new assault, uh, you know, weapon of choice, which is the car and and the van. So um, no answer to either of that. But I do see that CBS is now reporting that it's a 25-year-old man, Alec Manassian, who is known to police. That is, of course, still unconfirmed by police or the mayor, who, by the way, uh, Buck, told us to remain unified and inclusive as a city as we go. Faith, we actually we have some some audio from the mayor. I watched this press conference live as it happened, and I was taken aback by just how bland they were, how little they were saying. I mean, it was like they were 
I mean, the, the tone from the mayor to me sounded like he was telling us that there had been like a temporary power outage or something. It was not what you would expect after a mass casualty terror attack. Play the audio, John. I also want to say that this is a time when this community should come together. These are not the kinds of things that we expect to happen in this city. We hope they don't happen anywhere uh, in the world, but we especially uh, don't expect them to happen in Toronto. But uh, things are as they are, and beyond uh, supporting our first responders as they continue to do their work, you'll hear more about the uh, task that lies in front of them investigating this terrible tragedy. Uh, I hope that we will, as a city, remind ourselves of the fact that we are admired around the world for being inclusive and for for being accepting and understanding and considerate, uh, and that we are uh, united in standing in uh, solidarity, especially with those who have uh, fallen uh, victim to this uh, terrible uh, tragedy today. I mean, faith. Buck, stick a fork in my eye, bud. Stick a fork in my eye. I will say, Mayor Tory, God bless him, is not the most colorful character, uh, you know, in the box, so to speak. Not the kind of thing we expect to happen, though, Faith. I mean, that's, yeah, it's a mass casualty terror attack on your streets, dude. Like, no one expects this to happen. Yeah, the, the things are as they are line was his equivalent to the Sadiq Khan. This is just part and parcel of living in a big city. You know, my sister, who's um, a mother and pregnant with another one on the way, she called me mortified today. And she's kind of my gauge of what the average Canadian thinks. She's not politically involved. And she said, Faith, this is not the city that our grandparents you know, raised our parents in, that raised us in. She said, this is not the same city. She said, I can't believe. I understand, of course, these are still sort of early. We're still learning a lot about the victims here, et cetera. But I understand that one of the victims was a young mother with a child in a stroller. Like, this is not, this is, this. Uh, we, we've had two recent terrorist attacks in our country. Both of them were against uniformed uh, military men, right? Like, this is as indiscriminate as it gets. No matter who this guy is, this is the definition of a terror attack, a non-state actor waging his jihad, for the lack of a better word, on streets against, you know, civilians. This is a terror attack no matter which way you cut it up. And I will tell you, Buck, I'm not jumping to the conclusions, but I'll tell you, I don't know how many times we have to see truck attacks. We have to see this to reach the same conclusion. I will say this. If it is found out that this man who is now in police custody was an Islamist with any sort of ISIS, et cetera, affiliations, was a migrant, uh, 50,000 illegals, which we received last year, was even an immigrant from one or, or a legal refugee. Our prime minister, Justin Trudeau, with his reckless obliteration of what was once an immigration system that was the envy of the world, will have blood on his hands. And, And I quite seriously mean it. And I do believe that this, depending on, you know, where the chips land, will be a giant red-pilling experience, if you will, for many folks who are asleep at the wheel in a country right now that that that, that is, uh, frankly, just has a governmental, uh, just, uh, they're the ones who are waging jihad. Wait, so, so wait, Faith, I need, to, I need to jump in because I need to know this because you're up there in Canada and you know what's going on with all the political changes that are happening there. Yeah. Um, the, the mayor said admired, admired for being admired by the world for being inclusive. And what I'm getting from this is you're telling me there's been some change to Canada because Canada used to have this point system and conservatives right. in this country would point at Canada and say, well, yeah. hold on. Look, they actually do the point thing. But Trudeau, who is a, a left winger for anyone who doesn't know, has there been some shift recently? What's happened? 
Yes, massively. It's, it's almost weekly there is a new uh, headline out about what's happened. So in case you all didn't know, and I mean, this is good news for you, but bad news for us, our entire southern border has been all but erased. Our prime minister decided to t- tweet out to the world, welcome to Canada, refugees welcome. And we have a migrant crisis right now, folks coming up through upstate New York and the like to Canada. This this year alone, 6,000 people, 50,000 illegals coming up um, last year. So um, this is all stuff that's been done without a democratic mandate. And it's, it's about time, frankly, people you know realize. And I'm being a bit tangential here, I will say, because of the fact that we don't know where this guy is, is coming from, where he's hailed from. He could be a Canadian citizen for all we know. But but there there have been a tremendous amount of changes. Oh, and just as a side note here, because you'll enjoy this. Our immigration system that was once the envy of the world, it was just announced last week that in Socialized Healthcare Canada, we are no longer going to have any prohibitions on people who have disabilities or grievous irremediable uh, health issues. So in other words, if you're a cripple with diabetes and some sort of a learning disorder, God bless you, but you're welcome into our socialized healthcare system, no questions asked. Huh. Faith, um, I've gone way off topic. No, no, no. I mean, look, it's, it's interesting to hear about the change to the immigration system. Just for, for, for folks like you that talk about these issues, and this is Faith Goldie. She's a journalist. She's uh, up in Canada. She also, uh, uh, your YouTube channel is people just go to Faith, Faith Goldie on YouTube? That's right. Faith Goldie. Um, but uh, before I let you go, Faith, what is the status, uh, assuming this is an Islamist-involved incident, which it may not be, but as you talk about this, we down, you know, your, your southern brothers and sisters down here in America, uh, we look up at what's going on in Canada, and there's been some changes in your laws in recent years about what you can talk about and how you can talk about certain things. It, where right. does the whole criminalizing criticism of Islam thing stand under Canadian law right now? Oh, there has been a federal and provincial motion in my province um, that has basically um, it's it's demanded a, quote, whole of government approach to eliminating Islamophobia. So whole of government means your federal, your provincial, our state broadcaster, the CBC, the police to eliminating Islamophobia, a word that they do not deign to define. And in my province, it's actually worse. It's even having um, improper thoughts. It's literal thought crimes against people of, of you know, the Muslim predilection and, and, and affiliation. So it's, it's become an Orwellian nightmare in my country. It's become so backwards. I've had very prominent members of Canadian society call for me to be uh, charged with hate speech. I mean, these are these are crazy times when you can't just say, hey, look at the facts. By the way, don't you think Europe's a bit of a canary in the coal mine? Maybe we should slow her down because you know what's great about being North American bug is that we got big, beautiful oceans on either side of us. And, 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 and part of our immigration policy, etc., is that we get to be inherently discriminatory on who we bring in. And I mean that in the old-fashioned sense of the word. We get to be choosy. So when I see that ISIS is raging war across the UK and Germany, I think, heck, maybe we should just discriminate a little bit more and, and which i mean be a little bit choosier with who we bring in because there might be a, yeah we, we want the all-star team we want the all-star yeah. team here of immigrants <laughs> yeah. from around the world they're and they're not sending us their best and and well you know and, and canada we used to think of well at least the canadians are, are being picky but it sounds like you guys are trading things up everyone should check out faith, uh, faith on a uh, youtube and also follow her on twitter faith goldie great to have you on faith and uh, come back soon Thanks very much for covering this important story, Buck. Thank you, Faith. Uh, team, phone calls are uh, now open if you would like to make a ring to us. I'm having trouble with the English language right now. I don't know why. 
I guess they throw in Faith has got the she's she's very Canadian. She's a great lady, very Canadian, which I like. And if you're going to get ground truth from up north, you you want somebody who's uh, who's legit. So eight four four nine hundred two eight two five eight four four nine hundred buck. If you want to chat about anything we've talked about today, uh, coming up next hour. Oh gosh, I got some stuff for you. Uh, the Russia collusion investigation is a sham. We'll talk about that. It's been a sham all along. We've got more about it now. The deep state is very real. Um, McCabe's lies and Comey's leaks. We'll get to all that. So uh, stay with me. Wanted to bring you some breaking news on the apparent terror attack in Toronto. Killed nine, injured 16. We're just talking to Faith Goldie about it. She was there. She was live streaming video from the scene and uh the it was pretty horrifying uh the bodies were still in the streets as she was there um the individual identified as a suspect who was in custody who looking at him now and there's video out there as well that is purportedly of him facing off against a police officer and then he turned it kind of he raises it if you see the video see what i mean it's like he's trying to commit suicide by cop he right that's mike saw it too producer mike saw it he raises his hand like he wants to get shot a few times, which, I mean, if you got a gun and you raise it at a cop, you're going to fire, right? You're not going to do it. He does it a few times, so I think it's clear he was trying to get suicide by cop to happen, uh, but it didn't happen. They got him in custody. His name is Alec Minasian, uh, Minasian and just my, my initial reaction to this, just I'm just putting this out there. I can't corroborate this right now. Interesting. Uh Names that end in I-A-N are almost entirely uh, Armenian and some Iranian as well. You'll get some or Persian, right? So you'll get, but uh, uh, most names you see that end in I-A-N, I've been very close with some Armenians in my life, so I know this. It's a little trick, by the way. If you ever meet someone whose name is, you know, da-da-da, Ian, it's Armenian. Sorry, Mike, what? Oh, I thought producer Mike is like, um, what's up? Yeah. Um, just making sure Mike, Mike, make sure that I'm not running off the rails here. So, you know, Armenia is uh, for it's best known now as being uh, the Kardashians, by the way, are Armenian. They're probably the best known Car- uh, Armenian Americans. I don't know if this guy is of Armenian descent. I'm just saying it's likely based on his name. He's either Iranian or Armenian that from from looking at the guy's name, uh, maybe. Maybe he could be Circassian, uh, which is a group of people from from history. They were uh, a, kind of a nomadic, known as horsemen predominantly, and they spread to other parts of the Middle East because they had problems with Russia. But they're from the Caucasus region, the Circassians. Um, so he's from that part of the world probably, uh, at least in terms of his background. That would be my guess, or that's what I can make of it from his name. Armenia is a predominantly Christian country, though. Like over ninety percent Christian, it's an outlier in the region in that regard. It's uh, obviously Armenia's history with Turkey is very difficult because the Turks committed a genocide against the Armenians. Uh, but uh, so that's now he could be Iranian and then he'd be um, Islamic, right? He'd be Muslim, uh, or he could be a convert. Never forget that. I've you know I've I've looked at there are terrorist attacks with guys that have you know names that are obviously kind of what do you think of as all American names, Hispanic names. I mean, there's all kinds of. Anybody can be a jihadist. Always remember that. It's not about ethnicity. It's not about skin color or background or anything else. It's an ideology. 
So Alec Manazian could be an Armenian who converted to Islam. He could be an Iranian who radicalized. Or I could just be wrong about his name entirely. And But I don't think so. I, I think either Armenian or Iranian from what I see here. Or maybe Circassian for those of you who know what that is. Uh, it's kind of a, a little bit inside baseball. Um, that's my thought. Those are my thoughts on that one. So we'll keep watching this as closely as we can. See if we get any more information about this guy. Nothing on the ISIS channels yet claiming the attack, by the way. Uh, so we got a lot more coming up in hour two about Comey and McCabe. Buck Sexton. Permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I understood this to be my recollection recorded of my conversation with the president as a private citizen. I felt free to share that. I thought it very important to get it out. This is clearly FBI material covered by FBI regulations. You're not allowed just to take them and leak them to the media. They were addressed to high-ranking FBI officials. They were part of an investigation done on an FBI computer by the head of that investigation. So I don't think there's any question now, there shouldn't have been before, but there's no question now that this was FBI material improperly removed and then leaked by Comey. It's sort of a concerted effort by many to ignore the unprofessional conduct of Comey in this regard. You can disagree with the president. You can disagree with the firing of Comey. But what Comey did in this instance is very troubling and it's wrong. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. That was uh, Professor Jonathan Turley, who is telling you what I've been telling you all along. I would also note that I had a bunch of people jump down my throat via the Twitter, which is where journalists go to fight with each other, basically, or pundits go to fight with each other, as the case may be. When I said, you know, if Comey leaked some of these memos and the memos are, are classified, Comey committed a felony. Oh, Buck, rah, 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 rah. they're all mad at me. You know, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, I kind of do, actually. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what other hosts there are out there that do uh, at least a syndicated radio show that have ever had a top secret clearance because I did. Um, but one thing you learn, especially when you're uh, you know, low down on the org chart, is you learn what the classification rules are because the sanctions for those of us who are not, uh, who are not connected politically are severe for even pretty minor infractions of uh, classification standards. Uh, you can go to prison for it, but even short of that, you can have your career ruined and be fired and leave in disgrace. Well, with no ill intent, mind you. I'm not talking about leaking stuff. I'm just talking about mishandling. You know, like what Hillary did. Didn't really come out that time. I kind of... Tough. The Hillary voice requires a certain... You need to be in a certain m- mindset to really... Like, you got to start with, you know, I'm back! There you go. You know, you got to really lean into it and be like, what is the most annoying, unattractive voice I can possibly come up with and go for that and you'll be in the vicinity of Hilaria, Hillary Clinton. Um, But back to uh, Comey here. So he shared these memos with the New York Times, which I would note, he clearly thinks that he's really slick and above the law. I mean, the the whole thing, I've been, I I was going to say I've been pretty hard on Comey. I haven't been hard enough because it's not really possible to be. This guy's a clown. He is doing so much damage to the reputation of the FBI, which is supposed to be a nonpartisan, 
gold standard federal law enforcement agency. How could anyone still think that at the top reaches of the FBI, there's not corruption? All right. Don't let the Democrats force you into some other thing. Don't play the game of like, oh, are you saying the FBI? You know, other FBI people listening to this show, you know, we're not talking about you. You know, thank you for taking, uh, you know, Russian mobsters off the street. By the way, Russian mobsters. Little fun fact, because I actually used to work with a guy who's built built his career on the Russian mob. Um, There's actually a lot less Russian mob than people think there are in some of these big cities, but they are reported as being Russian mobsters because uh, it sounds scary and journalists will refer to any former Soviet state usually as Russian mobsters. They, they like won't get into the specifics, but yeah, like Russian mob connections. By Russian, they often mean Bulgarian, uh, Belarusian, um, Armenian actually gets counted, which is like for Armenians, they horrified by this. Uh, but they'll be reported on it. And the mobsters like the association generally. They're like, yeah, you know. Like those Russian guys do it. Like they're okay with it. So it's often misreported. So a lot of what you'll hear of is there's, there obviously is also Russian organized crime in this country, but it's a very big difference uh, with the way organized crime happens in Russia. Here, they like to do a lot of like white, uh, not white collar stuff, more fraud schemes. You know, Russian mobsters in this country like to do things that make them a lot of money and have minimum risk to them, right? Uh, in Russia, they disappear people and are incredibly violent and, you know, they're doing hits and everything else. And they enforce their codes against people here back in Russia. So, like, if you have family back in Russia and you upset the Russian mob here, and that's where a lot of the violence comes in. But here they actually take a pretty different, you know, they, they like to do, like, Medicare frauds and things like that. They like to do, they actually got involved in stock market schemes back in the 90s. Anyway, I spent a lot of time in a in an unmarked car with this guy who worked Russian mob. So like, I heard all of his stories over the years. Yeah. I heard all of his stories over the years. He also used to tell me about how, when they would have somebody that was involved in a really reasonably big, uh, reasonably big uh, drug deal, the look on the face of the, of the, of the accused, when instead of like the local prosecutor, the federal prosecutor walks in and is like, it's federal day, which they would, they would do that. They would just, it would be federal day and they would just have the federal prosecutors come because feds can usually take most drug cases if they want to. That was a bad day. No parole. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Rough stuff. So anyway, back to the FBI. Though The FBI guys and gals listen to this show or, or just in general. They know that uh, we're not talking about that. I'm talking about the leadership cadre in these organizations who do think that they operate under a different set of rules. They play the political game in D.C. They tend to be political animals. They tend to be people that think very much about how to advance themselves in the bureaucracy. Look, I'm just going to say it. The people that I knew in the intel community who were the most impressive, like the people who were as close as you'd get to actual, like, you know, agent ninja stuff. They don't, they don't run these places. I always had to laugh. People like, oh, like, you know, the former director, he must know a hundred ways to kill somebody. The former director of the CIA knows a hundred ways to rewrite sentences that go on the top of a memo that the president reads. That's what the former director, the former CIA director doesn't know any karate chops. I know I'm ruining Homeland and stuff for people, right? They think because they've seen the Jack Ryan movies with, uh, you know, clear and present danger and all that, where he's like deputy director of the CIA and he goes, you know, he goes rogue and he's out there like, you know, uh, screwing on the suppressor and he's ready to rock. No, no, you would not want uh, you would not want to have to rely on Brennan in a dark alley in a third world country. You know, the former CIA director to have your back. Okay, I know he's an older guy, too, but I know some older dudes who. They'd get it done. 
they're in their 60s, they're in their 70s, they've been retired from federal service, but like you'd still you'd be very you'd be in very good hands if things got ugly in uh, Durkadurkistan and they had to catch your back. The directors, what I'm trying to say, are not in that category, all right? So they and I know you know this, but it's kind of funny to me the way the media, you know, oh, so and so, he's the spy master. It's like actually the CIA director is like a politician slash manager. It's really what he does. It's kind of those two roles. And that's where you see all the politicization going on with the FBI and DOJ and everything else at the top level. So we're talking about that, that leadership cadre. And we, I've mentioned it before. I actually said it uh, was a cabal on Fox, and that kind of caught on. I'm not saying I was the first to say it on Fox, but I was among the first, if not the first, probably the first. I said it's, it's a cabal, this Comey, Yates. You know I'm a, you're going to hear the Yates name more. She's kind of somehow, yeah, she had that whole grandstandy thing in the first month of the Trump, or first couple months of the Trump presidency where she said that she wouldn't enforce a travel ban. So we know of her, but I'm telling you, she, she's she's dirty too. She's like McCabe dirty in her in her political machinations behind the scenes. I'm not saying she lied under oath, which McCabe did, which we're going to get to that. But uh, just remember, I'm telling you, Yates from DOJ, oh, no, no. She she was involved in the bad stuff, too. I don't know if it's criminal, but I know that it's unethical. Certainly what she did as FBI acting or uh, DOJ acting attorney general was unethical. You're just not going to enforce federal policy because you don't like it. And you're just going to say you're not going to do it. One, She didn't resign. She just said not going to do it. Disobeying the order. Hmm quite a position for someone who's of the law to take uh, so but back back to comey i know I've, I've gone in all kinds of directions here comey gets me fired up as you can tell so uh, comey released these memos and now he's it's come out that on some of these memos um he wrote you know he was writing handwriting on them unclassified which strikes me as uh, strikes me as strange because other memos that seem to be of similar, and you can go and read them, but that seem to be with similar stuff were at least at one point classified. And you're going to get in this, you're going to see this fight play out where is it really in Comey's, can, can Comey decide that a conversation with the president of the United States on, on his own, people say he's the originator of the information. I understand. I, there's all these different regulations that come into play, but there is some art as well as science in the whole classification process that doesn't mean you can just completely make it up as you go along, though. A conversation between the FBI director and the president of the United States about any matter affecting U.S. policy is, in a vast majority of cases, going to at least be at the confidential level, the lowest level of classification, which is still a legally protected category that if you violate, it is criminal sanctions. So how Comey thinks he's gotten around this just because, yeah, I decided it was unclassified. I'd also want to know if he decided it was unclassified well after the fact when he realized he was going to release all this stuff. But the president's just come out and said that Comey's a leaker and should be prosecuted, right? So we know that. The president of the United States has already said Comey should be charged. Well, we have to ask the question, how, how can anyone expect that, or how can anyone feel that the law is enforced in an impartial fashion in this country around these political issues, right? We're not, we all know, even Democrats want axe murderers to go to prison usually unless there's like a really good social justice reason for their axe axe murderers right but even democrats want you know we we all want 
murderers, molesters, rapists. We want them in prison. But when, whenever you get into this realm of political targets or something that has a really powerful political debate at the center of it, seems like we, we always lose. The Democrats always play hardball and use the law to their advantage, including in criminal stuff. They are criminalizing political differences and have been doing it for a long time. And because conservatives tend to take a much more Boy Scout attitude of like, we're just going to be the good guys. We end up getting curb stomped on some of this. That's what ends up happening. And I think people are sick of it. And they feel like Trump is somebody who doesn't allow that to happen. Right. But you see the way this Comey stuff has come out and how vindictive he is and how he's made this all personal. And you read through those memos. and I really recommend you do. Uh, you see, one, all the stuff we've said before, Comey is petty, he's vain, he's really sanctimonious. I mean, he think, he is in love with his own virtue in a way that is uh, vomit-inducing, at least for the rest of us. But beyond that, how could any FBI director think it is ethical, at a, at a minimum not an abuse of office, putting aside whether it's criminal or not, how could any former FBI director think that taking FBI information and releasing it unilaterally after separating from the agency to the press is OK? Think about what that does to future presidents trusts in an FBI director appointed by their predecessor. You know, we know Comey's wife, his kids, they're very pro Hillary, big leftists. We get that right. So now do you have to think about that whenever you're the, the new president with an FBI director? FBI director is involved in. Not just prosecuting bad guys who are violating the law here, but involved in the highest level of sensitivity counterintelligence investigations, involved in breaking up spy rings here, involved in, you know, the cases where you're trying to prevent theft of our most serious and sacred military technologies, right? FBI directors involved in some high-level stuff. you got to be able to trust the FBI director. Do we trust the FBI director more or less after James Comey? What do we think about the office of the FBI director now because of what this lanky weirdo has done? I think the answer is quite clear. And Trump is sick of it, and he's letting it fly on Twitter, and I understand why. Big question that I still have is, is he going to maybe face charges? I think the answer is no, because they're going to say, well, he's the originator of the information, and he, you know, he, I think they're going to give him a pass. You know who I don't know how he gets a pass, though? McCabe. You read, I, well, I want to talk to you about this. You read that Inspector General report, and you are jaw on the ground. Yeah, so we'll talk about that coming up. As you all saw, we now have three Democrat senators who have announced they will vote to confirm Mike Pompeo, President Trump's highly qualified nominee for Secretary of State. However, a majority of Democrats continue their pointless obstruction to score cheap political points with their base as a willful attempt to undermine American diplomacy. Regardless, the president is looking forward to Mike Pompeo's confirmation so he can continue doing an incredible job on behalf of the American people. That was uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders earlier today. I've got an update for you. It was breaking news just in the last hour or so. Uh, Pompeo made it out of committee, voted through. So... It looks like it's going to happen. The Senate panel narrowly, as the Washington Post reports here, endorsed Mike Pompeo for secretary of state. Rand Paul, my favorite California surfer, courtesy of Kentucky. Uh, he he switched on this one. I knew I knew he would. 
sometimes Rand just wants a little attention. You know, he was like, he's like, hey, everybody, the Constitution, it still counts. We talk about it for a minute. OK, fine. I'm not going to let the Democrats get a win here. I mean, that's kind of what he ends up doing. And I, I get it. You know, there's no shame in that game, Rand. But Pompeo uh, looks like he is going to. Well, they got to get to the floor vote. But now that he then he made it through committee vote, <laughs> I hopefully uh, you, you had 11 in favor, nine opposed. One voting present. I got it. Who voted present? What kind of milk toast nonsense is that? Nin- nincompoopery. Do we think that's a word? I say we make that a word. If that's not. If a word sounds cool enough now and people know what it is, it eventually, I feel like, if it gets enough usage, becomes a word. Uh, so nincompoopery is one I want to throw out there for you. But I doubt anyone's going to be able to switch their vote when it goes to the floor. Um, who else switched here? Coons switched. Chris Coons, Democrat from Delaware. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He voted present. Hi, I'm in Delaware. That's what he just did. He just Wayne's worlded for Delaware on the floor of the Senate. That's how, or on in the Senate committee. Same, same idea. By the way, those of you who are true movie experts know exactly what that quote was all about there. Hi, I'm in Delaware, Um, which is actually unfair. There are states that are much more, you know, Delaware actually has beautiful beaches. I'm going to stand up for Delaware. Gets a rough, gets kind of a rough rap in a Wayne's world. The Delaware beach is incredible. Like the Hamptons without all the garbage, without all the nonsense. Not the Hamptons has garbage like on the beach, but it has a lot of garbage people because they're very snoot. They're very snooty. They don't allow riffraff like me in the Hamptons. But Delaware is like, come on, come out to the coast, have a few laughs. So uh, Rand Paul voted in favor of Pompeo, and uh, who else was on? I'm trying to see who else is on this. I mean, the, the fact this is even a discussion is crazy. And you know what doesn't get much coverage? Because it feels a little Washington insidery, and people don't really care that much about that as a result. You know, you know it doesn't really get that much coverage, though, is that the Democrats are just extending out. They are just delaying the process of putting... Trump appointees through at every single turn. They're making, they're just, and they're just sitting on things as long as they can. They're making go as slow as possible. So on the one hand, you saw all these stories about how like, oh my gosh, Trump isn't putting enough people to run the State Department and blah, blah, blah. And, and then on the other, it's like, oh, you mean Chuck Schumer is holding all this stuff up? The answer is yes, he is. The answer is they are so hypocritical on this one. I remember during the Obama years, like, oh, the obstruction. They called Republicans obstructionists for not completely abandoning every principle that they had and just doing whatever Obama wanted. Democrats, meanwhile, are actively, this isn't like a a policy issue. They're just preventing Trump from being able to staff government positions using arcane procedural nonsense in order to accomplish that. And these are the people, the same senators in many cases, who are like, oh, obstruction, oh my gosh, they're obstructing Obama. They are the obstructors-in-chief on the Democrat side. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. McCabe, who was the acting FBI director and for a while under Comey, Number two at the FBI. Remember, we're, we're not talking about we're not talking about 
randos here, right? We're not talking to people that are just happen to be working at the FBI. These are important figures in the FBI. And what you take from uh, reading the Inspector General report from within the FBI is that there was a Protect Hillary operation underway that extended beyond even just the email investigation into also the Clinton Foundation investigation that McCabe was a part of the Protect Hillary effort. This is in the very top of the FBI that he figured he would be lauded for this effort when Hillary won and that he would be building his bona fides the whole time by stacking the deck for Hillary. And in the process of trying to cover his tracks, he lied a bunch of times, including lying under oath. Now, this is where we start to get into the problem of, of lawlessness, folks, because it is not okay It is not right. It is not moral for the federal government to exempt some people from criminal prosecution that they will, under the same circumstances for the same violations of law, uh, prosecute others for. Right. You can't exempt some and go after others. True tyranny is not the draconian application of law. Tyranny is the capricious application of law. It is the haphazard, the, you know, people that are connected get away with it. People that aren't get the rough stuff. And that's what you have with the Justice Department when Hillary Clinton is running for president. You have a two-tier or two-track justice system. Those who are powerful and important to Democrats and those who are not. And I think you could even argue you have a three-track system. You want not to overcomplicate. I'm belaboring my analogy, but with with some purpose here. You could say that there were people that know that have no power or influence and they just get crushed because the federal government wants to take you down. You're you're done. And that's also what so many of these journalists are, are so disingenuous about. Oh, if Trump has nothing to hide, what's the problem? If this person has nothing to hide, what's the problem? Really? When was the last time any of those punk journalists have been under oath in front of trained prosecutors who all they do day in and day out? is catch people in lies and crush them. That's what they do. That is that is their job. That is what they are trained to do. Right? The same way that I, I knew uh, guys who have been on the job at the NYPD for decades, you know, you tell them, yeah, you know, why was your lunch break a little long? Oh, you know, I was at a doctor's office. No, no you weren't. Just tell me why. You got to see your girlfriend before she heads out of town? Just tell me. And they're amazing. I mean, some of them were like savants when it came to Knowing even not even I'm not talking about lie lies. Right. But even little things. You know, what would you have for lunch? I had a you know, I had a kale salad. But come on, you had pastrami with extra Swiss. You're right, Sergeant. You're right. You know, they're really good at that. Why? Because people lie to them all the time. They're used to picking out truth from lies. So they some of them get very, very, very good at it. Prosecutors, same thing, except they are armed with a whole array of information before they sit down with you. And so it's all tilted against you. But with with uh, McCabe, forget about Comey for a second. With, with Comey, the problem is leaking. McCabe, the problem is leaking and lying about leaking. Uh, I mean, I'm telling you, if you go and you read this, uh, this report that the inspector general put out, and what you find is that McCabe was 
not only violating FBI protocol, but also violating the law. And on top of that, clearly uh, there was a whole effort to get Hillary out of any jeopardy. Uh, Here's, by the way, Andy McCarthy wrote a phenomenal piece on this in National Review over the weekend. Uh, He wrote, for example, the following. This is all about the inspector general and the McCabe situation. Quote, the Obama Justice Department guidance about the Clinton Foundation probe reminds us of their approach to the Clinton emails caper. Call it a matter, not an investigation. Do not use the jury, uh, use the grand jury. Instead of subpoenas, try saying pretty please to obtain evidence. Do not ask the co-conspirators hard questions because they're lawyers, so that might infringe attorney-client privilege. Let the witnesses sit in on each other's interviews. Let the suspects represent each other as lawyers. If someone lies, ignore it. If someone incriminates himself, give him immunity. That's what happened. Not just, think about this. Hillary was the presumed next president of the United States by the media. She wasn't, there wasn't one very legitimate criminal investigation going on. There were two. There was the email probe, which found criminal activity that they just chose not to prosecute. And understand this. Technically speaking, prosecutors could choose not to prosecute anything. So th- they are if they are unethical. Right. If, if you had a mass movement of prosecutors, they're like, we're just not going to we're just not going to bring charges against the system comes to a halt. Right? That's it. There's no one else. There's no other, you know, it's just that's we're not bringing charges. If it's their jurisdiction, they're not bringing charges. They can nullify the laws very easily if they want to. And that's what they did on the statutes about classification with Hillary. They nullified the Espionage Act to protect Hillary. But there was the Hillary Clinton email, I mean, the uh, foundation investigation as well. Here's another part from Andy's piece. The tense conversation McCabe had on August 12, 2016 was with a Justice Department official. The IG, the Inspector General report, identifies only as the Principal Assistant Deputy Attorney General. That post was then held by Matthew Axelrod, top aide to, get ready for it, Sally Yates, Obama's Deputy AG, eventually fired by Trump for insubordination. Lisa Page told the Wall Street Journal that the principal assistant deputy attorney general was very ticked off because the Justice Department had learned the FBI's New York office was openly pursuing the Clinton Foundation probe. Why? Someone explain this to me. Why would anyone within the DOJ or the FBI be angry that they were investigating a completely legitimate in, you know, a criminal inquiry here by looking at the Clinton Foundation, which was just a massive slush fund for the selling of influence. And, I, you know, speaking about two tiers of justice and, and hypocrisy. I mean, never mind the Ted Stevens thing where the, the prosecutors just lied, kind of like what they did to Scooter Libby. Oh, wait, are they both Republicans that got? Oh, that's right. Both Republicans that got nailed by federal prosecutors, high profile political prosecutions. What a shock. Where, where's the attendant, uh, you know, where's the, the similar conduct against Democrats? Bueller. Bueller. But McCabe and these other uh, FBI folks around him are clearly agitated at the prospect, um, at the prospect of this going public. 
they were clearly annoyed that there was a chance uh, that people would find out about the investigation into the Clinton Foundation as well as the emails. I mean, how corrupt can the Democrats' preferred candidate be? One more thing from uh, Andy's piece here. He really did a great job, uh, our friend Andy McCarthy, pulling apart the Inspector General board, and this was on nationalreview.com. Axelrod, remember, Axelrod is Sally Yates' number, like right-hand man. Not This isn't David Axelrod, it's a different Axelrod. Um, although they both probably love Obama the same amount. Axelrod at the DOJ calculated that if he huffed and puffed enough, the FBI would get the message. To his credit, McCabe wouldn't let him get away with that. If Obama's Justice Department wanted the case closed, Axelrod would have to give him a direct order. McCabe put it to Axelrod, quote, Are you telling me that I need to shut down a validly predicated investigation? There was then a pause during which Axelrod doubtless thought about how that would look. Of course not, he finally said. Sure. Sure. Uh, you see, folks, we have a record. They, they were playing games behind the scenes at DOJ and FBI. They were protecting Hillary. We're not imagining it. We have proof now. It's just taken a little while for the proof to come out. But when you want to talk about collusion, and the whole Russia collusion thing is just this is now a farce. This is this is a, a storyline for for, uh, you know. Democrat maniacs who can't can't accept that Hillary lost the election. So I mean, this is just fantasy land stuff. They've got nothing. They've got nothing. As Trump likes to say, no collusion. It's true. There's no collusion. But there absolutely was collusion between very senior members of FBI and DOJ who were quite aware of the optics of investigating not one but two avenues of possible criminal conduct directly tied to Hillary Clinton during the election. This is why we don't want to hear all the moralizing from Democrats about this or that. I mean, they basically put up an unindicted master criminal with Hillary Clinton to be the next president of the United States. And they want to tell us, you know, yeah, Trump, we don't like his coarse language. We don't care what they think. Uh, I was going to mention this, too, and I got a little diverted. I want to talk about corruption. So the FBI wasn't the New York office was looking at the Clinton Foundation which is so corrupt that it's almost comical. The whole notion, the whole thing, right? Hillary's speech fees in the toilet now. The amount of money that the Clinton Foundation's raising dropped off a cliff. What happened? People don't care about charity anymore? Are we, are we, are we all supposed to, what, the media thinks we're all idiots? We don't understand what that all was? The Clinton Foundation raises over a billion dollars, and all of a sudden now it's not a charity anybody really cares that much about? Oh, gee, I wonder why. And they were just lying about it. I mean, over at CNN and MSNBC in these places, oh, you know, Hillary, the charity, they're doing great things for people. These people are just liars. They're not that dumb, I hope. I hope. Um, but, you know, they had federal prosecutors go after Bob McDonald. And I was early on this one, as I am on many things. Some of my fellow conservatives gave me a, lot, a very hard time on this one. Bob McDonald was the governor of Virginia, never did a single official act on behalf of this uh, Virginia businessman, I think he was like a sports drink owner guy or something, but it doesn't matter. A Virginia businessman. The Virginia businessman gave the wife uh, gifts. Remember, this is the elected official's wife. She's elected to nothing. 
and and gave them, I think, a, a loan maybe to pay for the wedding. And the only quid pro quo, there was no real quid pro quo. The only quid pro quo was that the 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 businessman was able to hang out with the governor and, and like hang out at the mansion sometime at the governor's mansion. That's it. Not a single official act. They tried to send him away for 11 years, folks. At one point, a guy was being talked about as a presidential contender. Federal prosecutors, no surprise, in the D.C. area, tried to put him away for And they prosecuted his wife criminally. Not only did she not commit an official act, there was no official act for her to commit because she was not, in fact, an official. So, and the Supreme Court had to slap this down. So I'm not, like, sitting here deluded. They were like, what are you doing? You're going to prosecute people because they're hanging out with somebody? If he wants to give somebody gifts, it looks bad, sure. Maybe you shouldn't accept them. But the state of Virginia was like, yeah, we're not going to prosecute this guy. He didn't didn't actually break any laws here. So the feds swoop in with some corruption nonsense, essentially an expansion on honest services fraud, which is Democrat federal prosecutors speak for we get to nail Republicans however we want, whenever we want. That's what honest services fraud has meant. You know who, by the way, loves honest services fraud? Patrick Fitzgerald. Go back and look at the Conrad Black case. Patrick Fitzgerald was the one who prosecuted Scooter Libby. Who's Patrick Fitzgerald's best friend and uh, godfather of child? Oh, that's right, Comey. You're starting to see some patterns here, right? Some similarities, some connective tissue between all this injustice. Deep state is real. McKay, by the way, if he doesn't get prosecuted, there's no such thing as perjury. He lied. Inspector General of the FBI said he lied multiple times. Not only did he lie... He had the, I know, John, I'm fired up. I'm fired up. You, I'm doing it live. I'm fired up. Not only did he lie, but he had the chutzpah, I will say, because I know it's a family show, to call the FBI in New York and yell at FBI New York for a leak that he himself conducted to the media that he then lied about later under oath. That's McCabe, everybody, your paragon of virtue. At one point, the top law enforcement official in the country under the attorney general. It's crazy. All right. All right. Quick, quick. uh, I've got so much more. Stay with me. Despite all the challenges we face, I remain convinced that, yes, the future is. Buck Sexton. Wow. An endorsement from Hillary herself. That's uh, that is quite a thing, gentlemen. I didn't even know we had that in the tank. I am flabbergasted right now. Uh, I like th- I like that. Um, switching gears here for a moment. Uh, I just saw this. You know, George George H. W. Bush. He's uh, he's in the hospital now. I haven't spoken much about uh, H.W. Just I, I didn't know him, and he's actually uh, close friends with a dear his family and close friends with a dear friend of mine. Um, but and I've always heard very good things about him. I, I don't really know him, but this just kind of this kind of hits home. You know, H.W. is in the hospital right now. He's in intensive care. He's contracted an infection. He got very very sick the uh, the day after his uh, wife's funeral. And it just reminds me of these uh, stories that you'll see sometimes, which are very, very true. It actually reminds me of my own, my own maternal grandmother, uh, grandfather rather, who, you know, he, he lost his wife, my grandmother. And it just never really, 
was the same for him afterwards. And, you know, he was just biding his time until he could be with her uh, again. And uh, you see this with HW right now. It's not a coincidence that he's in the, yeah, he, he, you know, there's the love of his life and it was his partner. And uh, the fact that he's now on his own, I'm a big uh, believer in psychology and immunity being tied together, that psychological stress and the way you feel about things and, you know, whether you feel uh, loved and, and feel like you have purpose affects your health, actually. And I think he's just, look, I know he's a, he's an older man and, uh, but I think he's he 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 misses uh, he misses Barbara and uh, obviously, but I think also he's just reached the point where he's had a, he's had enough and uh, I I understand I've I've seen it before and and it's something that does happen so it's uh, a reminder of those of you out there uh, cherish your loved ones especially the the Mister or the Misses in your life uh, it's never the same when you guys aren't together whenever that is hopefully not for many 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 decades to come. All right, we got uh, hour three ready to go here in just a few, so uh, stay right there. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One more make, make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Two things I'll say to you. Number one, that, again... That woman who lost the election, whose name I never see on TV anymore, is wrong. That women, I think she said white women, have to listen to their, uh, the men in their life to, to form their own political opinions. Wrong again, lady. Number two, it's fascinating to me that CNN would go there, but it's very good for the whole world to have just witnessed that it's now, fa- excuse me, that it's now fair game how people's spouses and significant others may differ with them, I'm really surprised, but very, in some ways, relieved and gratified to see that. There you have Kellyanne Conway, and welcome to Hour 3 of the Buck Section Show, who is just taking CNN to the woodshed. It's worth watching the whole clip if you haven't already. It will be worth checking it out because, you know, Kellyanne is, like, she's a veteran of this stuff. She's been through a lot with the media coming after her, and I, I think at some level, too, She's just sick of it. She's got to be sick of it. They're so dishonest. I mean, CNN still thinks this is crazy. I know, but I have I have plenty of associates and friends that are over there that work there. CNN thinks that it is a nonpartisan outfit for journalism. That CNN is journalism. It is not anti-Trump. It is not pro-Democrat. It's not even. It's not leftist, which I would argue it is. That CNN is a mainstream, down-the-middle political entity. Right. That's it. They're crazy. I mean, they, they are every bit as left-wing as MSNBC. They just don't embrace it. They don't own it. At least with MS, say what you will. Right. I, I know that there are a bunch of hipster commies. Like, there's no surprise. That's the vibe over there. And say what you will about hipster commies at least it's an ideology uh at least they are clear about what they are cnn isn't and so kellyanne conway I, I didn't even give you the the original context of that question she's asked about her i just want to get right into it because she, and we got more for you from it but she's asked well and this is by donna bash which i just want to put this out there everyone calls her dana because her name is spelled dana but you're supposed to know that her name is donna now you might be saying buck if her name is D-O-N-N-A, 
of course. No, no. It's D-A-N-A. But if you say to her, Dana, you will get corrected. And not in the most friendly tone, I will have you know. Uh, it's also A friend of mine once told me that he had the, the temerity to call Christiane Amampur uh, uh, Christiane. So he was like, hey, Christiane. She went, oh, no, 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 no. It's Christiane. He said, just like that. Just like that. By the way, she's like, she went to like University of Rhode Island or something. She needs to tone down and like, you know, you're not a professor from Oxford, honey. Like, settle down a little bit, you know. It's Christian. I've built an entire journalistic empire off of sounding like this all the time. John knows this is what she sounds like on television. She has one speed. She has one tone of voice. It's like she's narrating the Lord of the Rings for very annoying and pompous people. Uh, so that's how Christiane Amapur sounds. You have to call her by the Christiane. And with Donna Bosch, don't call her Dana, uh, what skill set does she bring to the table particularly? I don't know. They like her at CNN. I'm sure they pay her a whole bunch of money to be interchangeable with every other TV journalist I've ever seen. But she's been around for a while. Uh, but she asked Kellyanne Conway about her husband's tweets about the president. So Kellyanne Conway sitting in an interview on CNN's Sunday show, uh, which I don't know who outside of the Acela corridor, uh, which is for the Acela train that we take from D.C. to New York or New York to D.C. and Boston. What's up, Boston? Uh, I don't know who watches these shows really outside of that and maybe some people out on the coast. Uh, But she's asking about Kellyanne Conway's husband's tweets, and Kellyanne Conway, is just she's just had enough of it. She just thinks it's garbage. I would ask you that if you were a man and no, your wife were... A you thousand percent, I no, would. No, 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 no. And it's not There's about that. It's about, it's about questioning, publicly questioning, what you are doing for a living in, with regard to your boss. And it has nothing to do no, with your and gender. and it has nothing and it to has... do with my spouse. And, right, uh, that's what I'm just asking. Oh, no, 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 you just brought him into this. So this ought to be fun moving forward, Danner. Okay. We're now going to talk about people's spouses and significant others just because they either work in the White House or at CNN. Are we going to do that? Because you, no, you just went there. Yes. I love it. Call them out for it. Do you think they do that to prominent female Democrats who go on that network? You just say, well, you know, her husband's a conservative. You're here in an interview in your official capacity as a senior advisor to the White House of the United States. But what about that thing your husband said a while ago? Not on message. You want to do you want to criticize or bicker with your husband on national TV now on a matter of politics? that has nothing to you know that you're not here to talk about that. But you want to do that is garbage. But it's exactly what CNN does. It's exactly what all these so-called down the middle journalists do on a regular basis what kind of questions do the republican guests get asked what kind of segments are pro-trump people put in this is all done with intent and for effect none of none of this is an accident my friends i know you're not fooled but don't allow yourself even for a moment to be fooled they make these choices specifically to let their audience feel like their political beliefs are being uh, constantly echoed and also told that they're correct. That's what CNN does. 
it presents itself as we're the down the middle, down the line, rational, journalistic enterprise. Uh, but if you're a Democrat, you're going to think that you're always right. And so what does that do for people? Oh, well, having Democrat positions is not an ideological position. It's just being right and being good and being smart. That's what it's supposed to provide. But in the era of the Internet and different news sources and outlets and the ability to fact check these clowns in real time, it's all a facade, right? It's all crumbling. If CNN wasn't an international brand, by the way, it would be in big trouble. The reason they don't care that on any given night they have like under a million people, which for a primetime news broadcast is really low, under a million people watching Anderson Cooper, uh, I think like 500,000 watching Jake Tapper. Uh, the reason that they don't care about that is that they are the channel that's in airports all over the place, and they're considered still around the world the American gold standard of journalism. The rest of the world hasn't caught on to this yet, but it's also why they're very comfortable at CNN taking what is pretty obviously, if not an anti-American perspective, a, a non-favorable-to-American uh, perspective. That's what they do. They try to take a global position of what's going on here in America so that people in you know the UK and people that watch CNN International, which is a big channel for them and a lot of people around the world get their news from, uh, feel like, you know, their prejudices about America are getting a little bit of uh, getting a little bit of play. You know, that's why they take the positions that they do. But this this point that Donna Bash is trying to make here just seems to me to be so patently and obviously false. I mean, this notion that this is the question that everyone's asking. No one's asking this. So her husband doesn't like Trump. She's supposed to answer for that on TV. You know. I I don't think that that's a fair standard. And also, more importantly, it's not one they would ever enforce against a Democrat. It's not one you would ever see on the other side. This is only done to Republicans. And it's meant to, you know, we, we if we play the full interview, you'd hear more of this. She's just like, look, you, you're meant to, this is meant to demean. It's meant to embarrass. It's meant to put down and make me uncomfortable, meaning Kellyanne Conway, make her uncomfortable. And it is. Meant to do all of those things. It absolutely is. So why wouldn't we see this and think to ourselves, there's clearly an agenda at work on this network. They're pushing a narrative. They're pushing ideological positions. That's just taking in what they're putting out there. It's not even hard to come to that decision. You have to be willfully ignoring. You have to be obtuse not to think that they're pushing an agenda and and taking certain positions. So. Anyway, I just it's very frustrating. H- having been over there for a couple of years and been through all this, I, I know the Kellyanne Conway routine, right? Meaning what they did to her. I know how it goes. And then afterwards, they all want to smile at you and act like they're, oh, no, we're, just, we're all friends just asking questions, you know. We're trying to humiliate you on national TV in some way, but, you know, we're all just friends here just asking questions. It's fine. You know? Nope, she was having none of it. I thought it was great. Never mind the fact you did make a whole case about is it sexism on its face to force a woman to answer for her husband's tweets? It's kind of a it's kind of a strange thing for uh, CNN to do, isn't it? Wouldn't you think that's a bit weird? I certainly think so. Uh, anyway, we are uh, Kanye. That's right. We're switching to Kanye now. You'll notice that last week I did a segment on the show. Some of you were probably surprised by it. You're thinking to yourself, why the heck? 
why the heck would would Buck be talking about Kanye on his on his show? Uh, And the answer is uh, that he was tweeting out some very interesting philosophical points. And I like insight wherever I can get it. And he is uh, breaking with the conventional leftist wisdom on some things. And I did that segment, I guess, on Thursday with you all here on this show. And over the weekend, Kanye was in the headlines. Why? Ooh, he upset the left by showing some support for someone who is on the right. Not just someone who's on the right, someone who's a, a black female conservative. In fact, one that we've had on this show, I'll have you know. I mean, I'm not saying that we're like trendsetters here in the Freedom Hut, but you'll notice we kind of have all the coolest people on the show. Like, they, they come through here, and then they get really big, and, you know, then they all just, because it's radio, people just want to do TV all the time. I get it. I know. I know. Everyone just wants to be on TV all the time. I understand. I love radio. I remember being in a, in a job interview not long ago with a very prominent person in television who was like, well, you do radio, you do TV. Which one do you like more? I said radio. The correct answer in that situation was television. But I said radio because it's true. So uh, Kanye, though. And philosophy of Kanye, which I suppose is a thing now, and uh, also the uh, young woman that he was given some props to. We will get into that and much more here coming up in just a few minutes. 844-900-2825 if you want to call in. 844-900-BUCK. And uh, stay with me. Kanye gave uh, some love to Candace Owens, who is better known as uh, Red Pill Black, or that's her YouTube channel, Uh, Kanye tweeted out over the weekend that he likes the way that she uh, thinks. So, you know, it's, it's one of these moments where all of a sudden you have the progressive left, which is so used to complete control over the pop culture narrative. And no one is really allowed to veer off. I mean, there are a few, you know, you got like uh, Gary Sinise, Adam Baldwin. You got some of those folks who are outspoken conservatives who are in Hollywood. And you got some country music. It's okay to be a country music star and be conservative. But from within, like, most of Hollywood and within the hip, I don't know. I don't know of a hip hop person who is conservative. I can't think of any. I mean, Eminem is like freaking out because Trump won't won't give him any respect or or hate, right? He won't even pay him any attention. Uh, I was going to maybe do an Eminem impression here, but it's going to sound really bad, so I couldn't do it. Um, plus, I can't make myself 5'3 and 110 pounds. Oh, snap. So, uh, oh, snap, for real. So what happened here with Kanye? I, I told you about some of his philosophical points uh, over the weekend, but or, or last week, but over the weekend, he wrote, I love the way Candace Owens thinks. And people completely freaked out over this. Candace Owens is a, a young woman in her, in her 20s, African-American female, very, uh, very outspoken about being a conservative, about being pro-Trump. We had her on the show, I would guess, almost exactly a year ago, maybe. So like I said, I mean, Really, if if somebody appears on the show and you haven't heard of them before, a good chance they're going to be a big deal someday. I'm not saying we make people into big deals here, but we kind of help. And also, we we know who's we know who's got skills. So Candace Owens, uh, you can see her YouTube channel Red Pill Black, and she's very pro Trump. And she oh gosh, she joined YouTube 
according to Washington Post here, nine months ago and has a couple hundred thousand subscribers. And we basically had her on at the very beginning. I'm just saying. We basically had her on the early. Okay, I'm going to stop patting us on the back for this. But we had her on like right when she was getting getting her start. Uh, and, and look, she she does very, uh, very strong commentary on a whole bunch of different things. And the fact that you have Kanye who has, I follow, I actually follow him on Twitter. And he has 16 million Twitter followers, I think. You see, there's there's big followings in the news and talk space in social media. And then there's actually like celebrity following. And people can think they're a big deal. Like if you're a if you're an anchor at at uh, ABC News, you might have a million people who follow you on Twitter. Right. Something like that. If you're a pretty famous actor, you have like 15 million people that follow you. 30 million people that follow you. Um, I think the biggest all-time following right now is, I want to say it's T-Swift. Is it? Yeah. I know what's up. Uh, but Trump is at like 60 million. T-Swift's at, I don't even know what. She's got a lot of, she's got a lot of followers. Still hasn't, still hasn't uh, at me yet. You know, hasn't said, hey, Buck, love your show. A little disappointed about that, T-Swift. So anyway, Kanye writes his stuff, and he's he's got some thoughtful commentary. Obviously, some weird stuff too. And I'm very aware that, speaking of T Swift, he has a a history of acting in a way that is somewhat, uh, uh, you could say, self indulgent, little little childish. But uh, lately, he's been writing some very interesting stuff on Twitter. And he wrote, for example, just five hours ago, new ideas will no longer be condemned by the masses. We are on the frontier of massive change, starting from breaking out of our mental prisons. Sure. I'll, I can go with that. I'm not totally clear on exactly what he's saying there, um, but it was interesting nonetheless. Uh, he's also written, let me see. I really love my Tesla. I'm in the future. Thank you, Elon. That's a first world problem there. I love my Tesla. Thanks for being in the future. Uh, what else do we have here? No more barring people for having different ideas. Hmm. Okay. I think he wrote bearing there. Uh, self victimization is a disease. What else do we have? Anyway, the, the red pill black, uh, well, the comment about the girl who has the red pill black channel, Candace Owens was what got everyone so upset on the left. And it's just because this, they know the left knows this is really the big takeaway from it all. That if we start to break through, if conservatives are not ostracized from pop culture, it's all over for progressivism. They have to keep us out. They have to make sure that the doors are barred to us, that entryway uh, entryways are closed to us. Because once people see that conservatives are actually much more willing to engage in ideas, are much more thoughtful about their beliefs, I'm talking in general here, but it's true, uh, are able to articulate themselves and also come from a place of humility because we always know that we have to, we're swimming upstream. We are fighting against uh, the, the dominant paradigm in media all the time. So we just come at this with a different kind of happy warrior attitude. The left is toast, man. So that's why they get so upset at Kanye. And you know what? He won't come on the show, but producer Mike, I'm going to put it out there. Let's reach out to Kanye. I want him on the show. Dude, Kanye and I would be buddies. We'd get along super well. He'd be like, Buck, I like your style. And he'd say it just like that, too. Uh, we're going to get into some roll call. I'm doing an extra roll call tonight. So we're going to do a, a lot of your thoughts and everything else coming up. So stay with me, team. The show ain't over yet, folks. 
keeping it real. <laughs> it's time for roll call. Oh man. You know, John, it's like some of these things, you hear this music, you hear the, uh, and and there are people I know that will listen to that kind of jazz elevator music all day. You know? No, there are people that will have, I, I get into a car sometimes, it's just like, you know, a lot of like, I mean, not that someone's actually doing bebop, but that, you know, the music is very, and I just always think to myself, like, is there some place where where you show up and everyone's like, oh my gosh. You're the easy listening station elevator music guy. Like, is he cool somewhere? Does somebody want to? Somebody want to get his autograph? Is he like, yeah, like you play all the all that smooth, easy listening jazz? You know what I mean? That kind of jazz. You know, like Michael Bolton style. That kind of. St- I mean, I probably am alienated to people, but you know what? I just, I'm just curious. I just want to know. Hey, look, I already admitted, I already copped to having Creed on my workout playlist. So, by the way, see, people can forgive that because my audience is magnanimous that way. Uh, But they also, some people, like, write me secretly. They're like, dude, you're part of the tribe now. And I'm like, I know, see? Because we are both Creed listeners, we can be BFF, as the kids say, and it is AG, which also means... All good. Um, so uh, let's get into it now, shall we? Um, where do I have? Oh, this is this is classic. Of course, whenever I go on air and I want to access Facebook, there is some problem with either my internet connection. It's the problem with doing these things live on on radio. There's a problem with my internet connection, or Facebook is like, do you have the permissions and blah 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 and all that stuff. Uh, and yeah, um, that's what I've got going on. So uh, where was I? I've got some messages coming. Oh, by facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. If you want to be a part of the awesomeness, that is Roll Call. What was really one of my favorite parts of the show. Uh, it really is. I, I kind of look forward. See, I save it for last because I look forward to it every day. And it gets longer and longer because I like to read what you guys all write. All right, here we go. Uh, Jennifer writes, where is Friday's podcast? Haven't been able to close out my week. Well, Jennifer, Friday I was out because I had to travel back to the East Coast and we couldn't make the timing work for me to get onto the show live. So my buddy, the Godfather, Michael Pelka, by the way, I'm the only person that calls him the Godfather. And it's because at the Blaze, he was the Gen... Wait, which which is like if you're in your well, I don't want to I don't want to age out Mike right now, but if you're in your like for Gen X, he's Gen X, right? Yeah, John is saying no. Mike is saying I think he's Gen X. Anyway, the Blaze when I joined was full of twenty somethings, and I was kind of a gray beard millennial at like twenty eight, twenty nine when I joined the Blaze, and and Mike was maybe forty something, so he was our Gen forty something, whatever it's called, Gen X. Not a boomer. My parents are boomers, right? So Mike's like Gen X. And, but he was like the cool Gen X guy that all of the millennials really liked. So I called him the Godfather because he was like Mitch from the movie Old School, which is phenomenal. It's given us such things as, I'll do one, and we're going streaking. And, you know, you know all those. Old School's a great, Old School really holds up, in my opinion, you know? Yeah. Taken, and this is controversial, and you can at me on this one, folks. Taken as a whole, I think that Old School is a more consistent movie for what it tries to deliver than Wedding Crashers. 
Don't get me wrong. First hour of Wedding Crashers, amazing. Second hour of Wedding Crashers, not funny, kind of depressing and weird, right? Old school is great. And then it realizes like, okay, we just got to end this thing. And it just kind of ends real quick. You know, it doesn't like draw it out. It doesn't try to, you know, do some cheesy like, oh, we've all grown as people. It's like, no, this is going to end with people acting like clowns. And that's the end of it. So old school is great. And uh, we're going straight. Oh, but he was like Mitch, who's called the Godfather. Because Opelka was like the coolest older guy in our fraternity of young people at the Blaze. So that's why I called him the Godfather. As you can tell, I'm very fond of Mike. And he was uh, one of the first people to both encourage me to go on radio and also to join in whenever I needed a little a little uh, assist on Saturdays. Because here's a little fun story. And maybe on my upcoming Lux Sexton podcasts, which are going to be launched soon, which get excited for that, folks. I know, producer Mike, we got to talk. Uh, I'll tell more of these kinds of stories. But to launch my radio career, I started uh, doing it on Saturdays, but I was working Monday through Friday full-time at The Blaze, TV and writing, and doing hits at Fox News or on contract at CNN. And I, uh, for 18 months, and John, who is currently our board op, was with me. He remembers. I would show up at noon on Saturday, the office completely empty, and it was just me and John hanging out for three hours. It It was radio awesomeness, though. It really was. But Opelka was uh, one of our friends back then. So, by the way, Mike, going forward, are we allowed to, when the guest host, I'm cool with the guest host being on the podcast. We should just do that. I feel like it's just some, because I'm not on, we don't do the podcast. And I think that's, it's not a rule, but that's the way people usually do it. But we should, yeah, we should put them on. We should do There's that. no rules here, man. There's no, yeah, we, we <laughs> this is not, oh no, this is like NOM in that there are no rules. In fact, it's not that this is NOM there, you know what I'm saying. Big Lebowski, another movie that really gets better the more you watch it. The first time I watched it, I was like, this is weird, and I don't do drugs, so I don't understand what's going on here. But by the 10th time I'd watched it, I thought it was actually pretty good. All right, I- I'm rambling and not getting to your roll calls here, so that's that's what I would like to do. And uh, let's get into it. We have Amanda. Any recommendations for a good book about Putin, his history, and the KGB? I highly recommend Nothing to Envy, Ordinary Lives in North Korea by Barbara Demick. It really demonstrates the all-consuming nature of the state and just how poor the average people are, and it's a real page-turner. Amanda, you have excellent taste. I actually have and have read Nothing uh, Nothing to Envy. It was one of the first books on North Korea that I uh, that I can remember reading, at least. And in turn, so yes, you're correct on that one. I just finished, oh, I, I well, we'll get into that more later. Uh, more on books later. But uh, you asked about a KGB book in Putin. I love this book called The New Nobility. It was written by a Russian, female Russian journalist. I'm forgetting her name right now. It's very, like the name is very Russian. You know, it's like 20 letters long. Um, it's really good. It's The New Nobility is essentially the KGBification of Russia and how the intelligence apparatus of the Soviet state really turned into the center of power of the Russian state. And that is with us to this day. Uh, For example, Putin's a former KGB guy, but there are many, many others. And if you want to understand Russia today, I not the propaganda channel RT, but if you want to understand what Russia is like right now, um, I would recommend The New Nobility. I really enjoyed that book. I ripped through it. I I read it very uh, in, in rapid fashion. Um, so there is that, uh, next up here, Hubert writes, Hey Buck, next time you're in San Diego, 
Here's some suggestions to check out. Raised by Wolves in La Jolla is a speakeasy type bar. Noble Experiment and Prohibition in downtown San Diego. Uh, Hope you enjoyed my neck of the woods where most conservatives live in California. Have a good day. I can't wait for Monday's show. Well, Hubert, thank you for making me feel at home in, uh, well, after the fact, but with my visit to California. I got to tell you, and and producer Mike and John, you guys should listen to this one. San Diego is the promised land, dude. All of the benefits of L.A., really, I mean, not as much industry and stuff, but in terms of weather and food and and far fewer drawbacks. There's way less, like, enormous camps of belligerent homeless people, for example. That's something I dealt with in L.A. Uh, right? You, you All of a sudden, you're walking, you're like, oh, it's a campsite, but a block from Hollywood Boulevard. Who knew? And, uh, yeah. And these are all, by the way, these are all able-bodied people walking around. This is not, like, you got to see it to believe it, what's going on now in L.A. But uh, San Diego is a gem. I was only there for 24 hours, but I really made a point of I got to La Jolla, Gas uh, gas Lamp District, which is kind of the main downtown drag of bars, obviously, and Coronado. And I drove through Pacific Beach, which I didn't get to hang out in, but I saw it. If I went back, I think I'd hang out. I'd probably, eh, I might, I mean, I like to be a little bougie, so I might stay in Coronado. But I'm just admitting that because I'm honest with you guys. If I wanted to be cool, though, so mark, mark that in your calendar, I would stay in Pacific Beach. Have you ever been out there, Producer Mike, or John? I think, oh, it's amazing, right? San Diego is like, L.A. is like the, like the big, you know, it, L.A. is like the fancy, you know, the, the it's like the Kim Kardashian. San Diego is like the younger, prettier one, whatever her name is. La Jolla, La Jolla might be my favorite city in, in the United States. La Jolla is incredible. Dude. I was walking around, I was like, this is like the most gorgeous little area ever. I mean, people, it's very expensive, but it's, it's amazing. Did you hit George's? Uh, no, I, I went to a place for brunch. I'm forgetting what the cottage, I think it was called. Very good. Very, very solid. Very solid food. Um, and uh, Mitt Romney lives there, right? See, Mitt knows what's up. If I had 250 mil sitting in my retirement account, boy, here I come, baby. So anyway, if, if for some reason I, I can get out of the New York, D.C. corridor in my professional life, if I could just pick right now. Sight unseen, Austin would be high on my list, just based. My older brother lived there for a while. He absolutely loves it. So Austin, very high on the list, even though I've never been there. This is like somebody who buys an apartment they haven't seen, right? Like I, Austin would be on the list. But I, uh, I also think that uh, San Diego would be high up. You know what, uh, John? I'm going to go. You know what? I'm going to go into a break here. See, I want to do a little more time with our roll call. So I'm going to go into a break. I'm going to finish it out the other side. See, look, we started it early. Let's let's finish it with a little more time on roll call. So we'll hit a break and we'll be right back. So I knew that I, I missed you all because I wasn't in Friday, so I was going to want to do a little more roll call today. So we broke it out into two segments. Also, officialteambuck at gmail.com if that's how you want to say hi. Well, we love hearing from you there as well. Uh, so yeah, I was talking to you guys about San Diego. San Diego's great. It really is. Oh, wait. Ah, uh, no. I was going to go into a whole other thing about L.A., but maybe I'll have to maybe I'll have to hold off on that one. Let's just say Hollywood, not a place you really want to hang out. You know, it sounds fancy because like, hooray for Hollywood. But when you actually are around Hollywood Boulevard, no. Yeah. Shady. It was shady. Uh, Miss Molly was out there visiting me, too, and she sent me text. She's like, oh, there's like weird guys following me around. I was like, yeah, the panhandling is very aggressive, and 
I mean, they're they're able-bodied twenty-somethings that are following you around. Like, hey, man, give give me money, and they'll keep walking. Like, they'll follow you. It's not like they stand there and say, "Please, can you help someone out?" And you're like, you you have like a cell phone. Why you're you're wandering around with an iPhone in your hand asking me for money? And you 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 know, you look like you could probably bench about two hundred pounds. Like, what's the problem? Anyway, uh, let's get back into this uh, roll call. As I said, uh, Steve. Remember the huge protest in D.C. immediately following the inauguration? Remember the windows being knocked out at Starbucks? Uh, yes, Steve. I do remember both of those things, and the left is crazy. So there you go. Roberto, next up here. Shields High Buck. I enjoy your show, and I'm encouraging my coworkers to listen to you. Thank you, Roberto. You are uh, an exceptional fellow with fantastic taste. I play your podcast while I'm working out in the garage. Keep fighting the good fight and continue spreading your knowledge and analysis. All right, my friend. Well, thank you very much. And I'm glad that I can keep you a company while you work out. Speaking of which, the fight against the dad bod. That should, be, that should actually be a whole podcast. I do the fight against the dad bod. It is a constant struggle. The struggle is real. Um, let's see what else we have here. Uh, Johnny writes, Buck. The, uh, the Cuomo monotone speech bit was friggin' great. Had to pull over the truck due to laughing fits, shields high, and keep up the excellent work. Thank you, Johnny, for liking the Cuomo impersonation. His politics are terrible, but he is a font of comedic activity. I John, remember when Cuomo did the speech? Nobody needs a hundred. John was with me. Nobody needs a hundred rounds to kill a deer. He was straight up yelling. He thought he had a shot at the press. Maybe he said ten rounds, but I don't know. Maybe the maybe the deer is kind of you know maybe it's bobbing and weaving. Maybe it's a frisky deer. You don't know. He might need ten rounds. Sounds like a, a fair amount to me. But anyway, uh, Denny is next up here. Hi, Buck. Thanks for including my comments on the air. My wife and I miss Friday's show. We are big fans of Michael Pelka. Would your team be willing to post that show as a podcast? I think we missed the boat on this one because it goes in the feed, but why don't we plan next time we have Mike fill in? I think he'd be happy. I'm assuming Mike would be happy to come back. He's like family. Next time Mike is in for me, we'll make sure that we run the podcast because now it's we kind of missed the because we're going to put out tonight's podcast, right? So we don't want to spam people. Uh, but I'm glad you all got to hang with the, the Godfather. He's he's really a, he's you know he's one of these guys in this business who. He's a good friend and a good mentor and actually tries to help people and go out of his way to do so when there's nothing in it for him. Not a lot of people like that in the world, particularly in the media business. The worst people generally are in the media business. So uh, Opelka's a good man. Uh, we have Larry up next here. North Korea. Building a nuclear bomb is one thing. Building an intercontinental ballistic missile is another Putting a nuclear weapon on top of a missile and delivering it to where you want it to go and first having it detonate is a whole other kettle of fish. I think they may be willing to talk because they have discovered this. So Larry, I guess, is saying that he thinks that North Korea um, may or may not be able to actually get where it's trying to go with the uh, weapons. Um, We'll see. They've been moving pretty fast, Larry, despite all the efforts to slow them down. Thank you, though, sir, for your note. Uh, we have Jennifer who writes in. Remember, this is Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. I hope all of you are at least following that page. And uh, we try to only put good content up there. And it's a way you can talk to your fellow Team Buck folks. Uh, but he, or uh, pardon me, that was Larry. She writes, Jennifer writes, um, new, line, new nine line shirt. I love it. 
My Black Rifle Coffee Weekly shipment should be here tomorrow. Only three people in my house drink coffee, and I go through 40K cups and two bags of coffee every other week. Shields high. Uh, well, Jennifer, you know, I really do appreciate this. Whenever someone listening uh, actually goes along with one of our call-outs here and checks out one of our fantastic sponsors, they're really partners with the show. Anyone you hear advertising on this show believes in what I'm doing, knows who I am, wants to work with me. And so if you like this show, going to check out the sponsors. And with Black Rifle, Nine Line, for example, you're getting great product, right? These are the delicious coffee. My parents only drink Black Rifle coffee now, okay? It's my parents. Uh, I only drink Black Rifle coffee, no surprise there. Uh, but uh, Nine Line Apparel also, great gear and great guys running that company. I mean, those I wear Nine, uh, nine Line t-shirts now. I have three of them that I kind of switch out. I wear them all the time. In fact, I should probably post some stuff. Uh, I'm just not that into selfies because I always feel like, who wants to see a selfie of me? But anyway, I'm in the media business. Uh, so we'll close it up there in the Freedom Hut for tonight. Thank you, as always, team, for joining. We got every day together this week without fail. So until next time, shields high.